Hello and welcome to Under the Skin. We're going to be talking to Dave and Steve from The Happy Pair, Ireland's entrepreneurial, modern, but very masculine, new men. Role models, I write about them actually a bit in my book Mentors, because I went dawn swimming with... uh, Hold on, because they're twins. I can't tell anymore which one was which. I think I went with Dave. You know, they sort of blend in and out of one another. You can tell them apart when you see them, but you start to memorize them as a conglomerate. They started their own business selling organic food. Now they've got, you know, a very successful food brand and their cafe in Greystones in County Wicklow Island is absolutely amazing. And it was one of the most enjoyable aspects of my recent work trip to Ireland, making a film and going there, hanging out on the beach with these sort of buff twins. I mean, I don't know if I'm giving this holiday the sort of wrong taint. Oh, God, why did I say the word taint? But I did actually do exercise with them, squatting. Oh, no, in the in the upstairs bit of their cafe. I mean, they're incredible men. They grow their own food. They're vegan. They're fit as fiddles. They're full of joy. They're interested in consciousness. They want to build bridges. They want to explore some of the ideas around masculinity in a more positive way. I mean, I really, really like them. So uh, they're they're coming up in a minute. Remember, my new book, Mentors, is available now to pre-order. I talk about how I've used various mentors and guides to help me in every area of my life as a father, as a comic, as a recovering drug addict, as a a better husband. I mean, like, it's a a good book. It's a pretty easy read. And uh, if you want to know about it, just check the website, check the description box. Have a little look. Thank you. Thanks for your comments on the episode with the wonderful Jack Monroe. What a beautiful human being Jack is. Uh, Let's have a listen to some of these comments. Claire says, uh, I'm loving listening to your Under the Skin podcast on my commute today. I'm getting very strange looks at my random bursts of laughter. Hashtag Nosh and Socialism. Hashtag Craving Bread. Hashtag Mind Food. Maria Varello. Great listening. Loved your chat between you and Jack funny uplifting politically bang on go into politics jack i think we would that's my long-term plan support jack monroe in a bid to become a kind of prime well not kind of prime minister a prime minister wouldn't it be better but we need a more electronic democracy we need to break down centralized structures create power local to the people who are affected by that power where possible so various forms of devolution probably city states you know the nation's a relatively modern idea it's not unthinkable to have you know, the state of Essex. A state of bloody Essex, if you've seen it. Um, anyway, let's not get sidetracked. Basically, people liked it. That's the general thing. I mean, but have I, would I read out ones that don't like it? No, is the answer. Well, I would if there was some valuable point. Ruth Golightly says, I love this podcast. Totally related to a lot of what Jack talked about, especially going sober. Made my journey from Newcastle or Leicester pass very quickly. All right, so like, yeah, thanks for those kind comments about Jack Monroe. I loved speaking with Jack, a phenomenal human being. We've got some interesting people coming up. Steve Coogan, Fern Cotton, Johan Hari, John Ronson, all coming up soon. If you've got any questions for them, email me at hello at russellbrand.com and uh, I'll see the ones that are relevant, which is, I suppose, in a way, a subjective idea go back and listen to some old ones if you want charles eisenstein was amazing dear khan was incredible tony robbins radhanath swami you're going to love dave and steve because uh well they're enlightened that we talk about sustainable communities how to manage a business consciously and fairly we talk about connecting with your inner self by swimming at dawn 
uh, the importance of community. I don't know if I do mention that we recorded it at the same time as Radhanath Swami, a deeply holy man, you know, like a Hindu priest. And Dave and Steve treated him like he was a sort of kitten or something. They were touching him, pulling his cheeks. One goes, would you like to see me latest trick? And did a literal handstand and walked about in a room in front of a Swami. I mean, it was a fascinating time, really. And now time for the happy pair on Under the Skin, recorded in front of a live audience. Trying to achieve equality with the annihilation of category is not no, a successful that's, route. Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly right. We're in this era where it turns out we were never the boss. It doesn't look like an ideology. What's beneath the surface of people we admire, of the ideas that define our time, the history we are told? And welcome to Russell Brand Under the Skin. Thanks for coming here, lads. This is great crack. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Oh, can I tell you something first? <laughs> Why so, not? Uh, sorry, I know it's your show. No, it doesn't matter. But uh, I, I, we were talking about this earlier, and a good few times we'd been asked, uh, oh, so, you know, if, if you were having a dinner with guests, what guests would you pick? Like, people who are dead or people who are alive? And uh, Stephen... Well, alive has got to be the first thing. Well... well I want the dead scattered around a dinner party. No, no, Can't no. be hygienic. <laughs> No, but it was more uh, like, you know, Stephen would often say, he'd go, oh, a Buddha, I'd love to like, see what Buddha's like, see what he's really like, and, and maybe should we throw in Gandhi there? And he said, I'd love Russell Brand as well. He'd be great cracking it too. He'd really mix it all up. So he's, oh, thank you, know, you. Right after Buddha so and Gandhi. Real. That's where I see myself. <laughs> <laughs> Buddha, Gandhi, Brandy. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say that, that it's a real pleasure I'm glad being you here. did, Dave, because I think that'd be bloody boring at a dinner party, to be honest. <laughs> Gandhi, he ain't going to eat nothing. <laughs> Not till the British clear off. And then uh, Buddha, he'd just be sort of meditating, wouldn't he? Me, I'd be trying to keep the vibe going. <laughs> then there'd be you two doing handstands on the table. Now, how did you start this successful business, this successful mindful business where you're creating a sort of quiet culinary revolution? Not quiet, personally, you're both a pair of loudmouths. I mean, a sort of a quiet vegan revolution, an interesting new sort of male take on a, on a movement that could be seen as sort of feminine or somehow neutered. Tell me what it is that's driving and inspiring you. Thank Beautiful. You. Are you going to go with that one? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we, we grew up just across the road, uh, up the road, actually. Uh, anyway, uh, we grew up in Greystones, right here, County Wicklow. I uh, went to an all-boys school in Bray. We're twins, as you can see, and we have two other brothers. Uh, so all-male family, obviously, with the exception of our mother, Thank you, Ms. Um And then we went to an all-boys school, so there was a lot of male influence. Uh, when we were at school, the big thing for us at school was happiness was kind of getting drunk and kissing women. If you kissed a girl, you got good social respect. Uh, so finished school, didn't really know what the hell we were into beyond getting drunk and chasing women. So um, we decided, let's go to college. College is a great place to get drunk and meet women too, and there's meant to be more of them than an all-boys school. Uh, so, so off we went. We went to Prez Bray, which is a school over the hill, uh, and played a lot of rugby and got drunk and chased women. Uh, finished that, and again, then we went to college. You want to go? Can I say something? Yeah. So, uh, so at the time, like, happiness for us was all about, you know, we'd bought into the American dream of money makes you happy and kind of beautiful women. You know, we were really looking externally beyond ourselves. And by the end, we finished college. We both kind of had lost faith in the American dream, and we kind of, there must be more to life. Like, Steve was, oh, there must be more to life, Dave. Come on, like, you know, whatever. And uh, so as identical twins, we reached the age of 21. We just finished college. And uh, mom said, lads, I think it's time you grew up and you like, learn to live separately. Uh, so as identical twins, we're like, you know, we finished one of the sentences, as you can see here, and we lived in one of his pockets. So we ended up having a little divorce. And uh, at the time, I was playing off two in golf. So I decided I wanted to be a golf pro. I went to South Africa. 
And uh, Steve went the other side of the world. So it was, it was a big deal for identical twins for us because our whole identity was tied up in being an identical twin, you know. Can I go? Yeah, it's your partner. My cue, okay. Cool. <laughs> uh, so I went off to Canada and I went to Whistler. And Whistler was a cool party place. And um, I remember meeting an Irish guy, a guy from Greystones, Connor. And he said he could, he said he could sleep in his floor in the apartment because there was, uh, I didn't have much money. Uh, I was sleeping on his floor and there was a guy in the apartment called Adrian, this cool Australian dude that was a surfer. Uh, and he was snowboarding. And, you know, I was 21 from Little Greystones. I was like, wow, you're cool. And he was cooking dinner. He was cooking sweet potato, coconut, and lentil soup. And, you know, we grew up eating meat and two veg. I didn't know what the hell a lentil was. Coconut, you know, I, I had no idea. I knew what milk was, but not coconut milk. Uh, so we cooked this soup, and uh, he brought it out. Do you want to try it? And I was like, whoa, those lentils are gorgeous. You know, I didn't know you could eat them. And we got... <laughs> I really didn't, you know, that way. And we got talking further, and he told me he was a vegetarian. And up until that point, I did, I'd never met a man that was a vegetarian. So I was like, wow, you're a vegetarian? <laughs> you know, genuinely baffled and confused. Uh, and we got talking more, and I was like, geez, that sounds pretty interesting. Can I eat what you eat for the rest of the week? So we were eating quinoa and millet and black beans and, like, hippie food, food that I didn't know what the hell it was. And at the end of the week, um, I decided to call Dave up because a lot of our life we've been competing for love and attention. Uh, you know, you know, that's just the nature of being... Throw a that in. <laughs> uh, so I called Dave up and was like, Dave, I think I have one up and you've decided I'm going to be a vegetarian. And lo and behold... I beat him too and I was there two days before. <laughs> Believe it or not. No, we were, we were on different sides of the world and it was pre-internet and pre-everything, but we both kind of decided to... You know, we, it was our first time living away from the mammy. You know, we were Irish lads, mammy cooked the dinner. And we decided to, you know, we both reached our own kind of decision that it was like, no, I don't want to eat meat. I don't know why. I couldn't really explain it. And I guess being competitive, I, I was vegetarian now, and I was beating him by two days, so he decided, right, well, I'm going to be a vegan. You know? So, uh, and this kind of started our own journey of trying to eat ourselves to enlightenment. That sounds actually sounds weird. But to try to eat, you know, see if you could eat, if there was any correlation with what you ate and how you felt and how it affected us mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and how it connected us to ourselves. And I guess we ended up really spending the next couple of years traveling around the world, exploring beyond our own social conditioning of, you know, work harder, make money, get married, get a job, and all these kind of various things that society kind of told us. So we ended up, uh, you know, I lived behind in a, in a cave behind a waterfall in Costa Rica for a while, as you do, you know. And, and we, That's you. Yeah, you uh, throw in some interesting details. I mean, like, you're firstly, like, there's a, the, the assumed correlation between diet and a, sort of a sp- the pursuit of spirituality. That's interesting that, that you sort of uh, presume that. Fascinating. And then let's not forget that you lived in a cave behind a waterfall in Costa Rica. <laughs> also intriguing. Why was it that, that, you know, from a sort of what you described as a quite a conventional background from both a dietary and social perspective, you suddenly, you suddenly allied diet and lifestyle and to a degree you seem to be saying disillusionment with the idea of commodifying both women and money and, you know, ambition. Yeah, I think, like, I remember before I went off traveling, I remember we, I'd finished college and I'd got pretty good marks. You know, I did grand at it. And at the time, during that summer, we were kind of looking at setting up a, an environmentally friendly property development business. I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, I'm not really into this, Dave. And I remember sitting down one night writing, I'm going to go away traveling, I'm going to buy a one-way ticket to Canada, I'm not coming back until I'm happy and I know what I'm into. So there was this kind of <laughs> underlying dissatisfaction and kind of confusion. Uh, so I went away traveling and it was it was kind of in pursuit of what's more or what's different, challenging our social condition, putting ourselves in different environment. And I guess food was the first entry level which we were challenging our viewpoint from the, of the world, if you will. Mm, that is, 
I suppose because it is so fundamental, basic and necessary, our relationship with food, that to sort of, in a sense, hmm, what do I want to say, deify it or spiritualise it, to become conscious about food, to make food meaningful, rather than have food just being about indulgence and pleasure, to find some kind of meaning in it. Is that something that happened to you both naturally or...? Uh, don't know. I think we started reading books, and then and then uh, we ended up like becoming eating a vegan diet, and then a raw food diet, and then uh, th- then I met I met this guy that had, you know, I was twenty one and highly impressioned. I met this guy who was he had the brightest blue eyes. Really, you know, he was I think he called himself he had some spiritual name anyway. But he he was big into trying to become a breatharian, like he was proper out there. And I was just twi- wanted to use the old breath, get by and breath yeah, alone. Well, well, you know, I, I was. We'd was, need thick breath, a- wouldn't you? <laughs> It'd need an undercurrent of salmon or bovril or summit. <laughs> Where are you getting your nutrients from? Just the old breath. Or have a little bit of plaque with that. <laughs> or an eye bogey. Sorry. Uh, uh, anyway, like we were just kind of curious and wanted to see how far you could push the thing. And I guess we realized through the journey that it was, you know, food is one part of the puzzle. And uh, one day, oh, you've you got a good story. Will you tell a little story? I, I remember I, I moved to the south of Fran- mo- France mostly because I wanted to go to a place where I knew no one. And I was kind of very disconnected from any community and wonder, could I set up a life there? And I set up a little life Why there. You make weird decisions used to. <laughs> I went and lived in a cave behind a waterfall. I wanted to go somewhere where I didn't know nobody. What's driving these choices I think self-development. Put myself in a place where I knew no one and wonder, I wonder can I set up a, a community and a lifestyle and a life where I'm, I'm content? And can I, again, reinvent myself and see am I more happy in that new reinvention rather than my previous self, I guess, version of the world? Right. You, could you reconceptualise yourself? I mean, yeah. I think a lot of us You, you describe this. it much more elegantly. Sorry. No, I don't know I was, if no, I do. It, yeah. I describe it differently, but like I don't know about more eloquently, but I've myself had various points in my life where I feel like, oh, I could abandon all of this. I'm not sure about my identity anymore. All these things that I've got uh, involved with, embedded with, they don't seem real to me. I've had it happen several times. And I was lucky enough to have an older man that it was able to explain to me, yeah, when you hit like 40, it's mythically and essentially true that you are nearer to death than you are to birth and you need to start considering your reality differently. Part of you needs to die. And like, you know, and like, um, you know, me being a person that gave up drugs, you know, the person that was a junkie, that guy had to die. I had to become someone else. You, be- you recognise you've acquired all these accoutrements, all this apparatus, but it ain't serving you no more. So, like, I can recognise why you had a kind of epiphany and wanted to rebuild anew. Yeah, just challenge, challenge myself for something different. And when I was living down what there, happened? Uh, I decided I wanted to go for a cycle. So I bought a bike, and again, I wanted to rough it. Uh, so I, bought my, I got myself a sleeping bag and a, a plastic sheet. And I cycled around the south of France for about a month and just slept kind of in fields or slept rough. And I went down to Corsica and I went right up the northern, northern tip of Corsica on my own. And I decided I was going to do a water fast. So I did a water fast for a week. As you do, of As course. As you do. Breath, water. Uh, anyway, oh, of course, <laughs> 21 and exploring life. Anyway. Uh, and so uh, afterwards I, I came back and I said, Dave, geez, when I was doing that water fast, I had this kind of idea. Do you want to like, try to start a health food movement, a revolution? You know, I, I just feel like... I've changed my diet. Okay, Stay on mic, you two. Keep this in okay, front yeah. of your face. Okay, yeah. Forgive me for using the metaphor, but just imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you always want it face on. <laughs> no one enjoys an ear job. <laughs> Beautiful. Go on, uh, you're gonna go. You won't forget the image, will you? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
We went on a blowjob diet. We tried to live on just blowjobs. We thought, I'd just cycle around France for a couple of years and see if I could just live on blowjobs. I got through the first couple of weeks fine enough, but then I started to feel depressed. Uh, anyway, Steve said... Steve. Uh, is it close enough to the main? Is that good? I would say so. <laughs> Great. Uh, Anyway, Steve says, he, he calls me up one day and he says, Dave, I got this idea, like, I, I, I want to try and start, like, so much has changed in me, my diet, my perspective on life. He said, do you want to try and start some health food movement, a revolution? This, he called it a revolution. And I, I was in Mexico at the time, and I was thinking, revolution, cool. And I was, like, I was hearing lots of things about Che Guevara and all, and I was thinking, yeah, cool, we're going to, like, be with placards, storming the doll and all this kind of stuff. And he says, uh, do you want to start a vegetable shop, Dave? It's like, a vegetable shop? What's that going to do with revolution? He said, Dave, trust me. Like, let's just, like, I've got this idea. I really want to do this. I was like, yeah, great idea, Steve. Let's do it. So uh, we came back to, we came back to Greystone's age 24. And we left as like, we were, you know, we'd we'd loads of potential. Like, you know, lots of people kind of, like, we were good at golf. We were good at sport. We were studying business. We were, you know, we were, we had lots of potential. And then we came back as these two stinking hippies that like had really strong body offensive body odors and we were starting a vegetable shop is it the shop that's here in greystones that has since evolved into the cafe yeah 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 and we started with a little veg shop and we were driving a little van so a lot of mom and dad is anywhere there are your mom and dad here i'm so sorry about the blowjob joke (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but mom and dad lots of four sons i've heard worse (laughs) um Lots of mom and dad friends from the, you know, the golf club or the bridge club was like, what happened to the lads? Like, you know, they went to college. They had lots of potential. Like, they're definitely selling drugs down the back. (laughs) Here's a vegetable you'll be interested in. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was this kind of preconception. So a lot of people didn't really know what to make or what happened to us. And a lot of, um, you want to go off one? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, so we came back anyway, and uh, we wanted, Stephen was adamant, this, we're starting this at Charity Dave. This is not about money. This is about making the world a better place. Like, that was his, the, the idea right from the outset. And uh, Dad, thankfully, says, now, nah, lads, you're much better trying to change things in the inside. He said, just start it up as a normal business. I was like, okay, Dad, you're wiser than us. Okay, we'll do that. So he said it was an ordinary business. And, uh, and Stephen was, once again, he says, Dave, right, I've got this great idea for of what we're going to call it. And we had this idea of what we're going to call it. And the sign man came along one day, and he was there. He was, you know, up the front, and he was trying to fit the letters along the sign. And uh, we were standing there really proud, going, oh, I can't wait to see this. It's going to be so exciting. And uh, he comes back down to about half an hour, and he says, lads, the letters won't fit. Like, it just, it just, it's going to look crap. You're going to have to call it something else. And uh, the name Stephen wanted to call it was Flinner's Fruit and Veg for Social Change. <laughs> <laughs> It's catchy. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of rolls off the tongue, you know. So, uh, so that kind of tells you where we we're coming from, you know. Seems really sort of idealistic and lovely. And like listening to you both, it seems like you kind of fashioned your own pilgrimage. One of the things I find myself talking about a lot is the the challenge that we face as sort of secular modern people in accessing spirituality, and yet the need for connection, the need for a spiritual life, keeps presenting itself organically. And like you two, your way of tackling that was to independently impose, though it may have been by your parents, to go on various pilgrimages, trying to live on you know breath and water and there was another thing I can't remember what that was <laughs> uh, and, and ultimately discovered a kind of a purposeful community based business so like that was it so once you got rid of the crazy name and settled on what was it called just, the uh, happy bird there they go there's a, there's a pun it's lovely what, like, tell me what were so your we, next we steps start, we started with a dream we called, we, it was called the happy pair and we started to create a happier healthier wor- ha- 
happier, healthier world and build community, which sounds like something out of Walt Disney, but it was, uh, I guess what we believed, it, was, it wasn't selling vegetables, it was selling an ideal, it was a lifestyle. And I remember initially when we first started, a lot of the customers were kind of older, older ladies in search of your cabbage or turnips. You know, they re- weren't really up for revolution. And then, I remember Russell's oh, yeah, blowjob oh, Russell's thing. blowjob joke, yeah. yeah. Okay, there, is that better? Yeah. I prefer it. <laughs> So uh, they're just, no, as you would imagine, conventional customers in the vegetable yeah, shop. Yeah, they, they, they weren't really for veg. They're not yeah, after a revolution. They weren't really up for revolution. They're knackered. Yeah, yeah. They just they weren't feeling it. <laughs> Beautifully said. Uh, so then, then we decided we'd open a juice bar, and of course we'd very little experience. So we opened a juice bar, built it out of wood. Health and safety came in. Lads, what's the story? So we had to rebuild it again. Mm. But I remember one day, Dave, there's someone under the age of forty in the veg shop. Wow. Uh, so it's, it kind of started to get busier and busier. And then one day, Dave bought a horse box. And I remember coming back and like, what the hell have you done buying a horse box? And we spent the summer painting it up. And uh, Dave decided, we've got to take this on the road. You know, festivals, people drink too much, too much drugs. They need to eat fruit. Uh, so we went down to Electric Picnic, which was, uh, I guess, it's grown into be one of the bigger festivals. But it was kind of in the early days. If you know about retail, the three most important things are location, location, location. We had a pretty crap location. Uh, and then we were there trading away. And um, customers had come up. And, you know, it was pretty quiet. And I was working with a friend, Kev Cahill. And Kev goes, I've got a great idea. And I turned over to Kev, and he'd taken his pants off. I was like, great idea, <laughs> Kev. So I took my pants off and took our top off, and we put back on our apron. So people had come up, and they'd order, you know, could I have a strawberry sunrise? And you go, yep. You turn around, and there's just these pair of cheeks in their face. And the queue got bigger and bigger and bigger. And we found sex really did help. At the electric picnic, <laughs> you decided to sell your smoothies via your smoothies. <laughs> How, what, an, what an eccentric and exciting idea. It was quite fun. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's Why not? It's very innovative. I'm sort of, as I'm listening to you now, I imagine that a lot of young people listening to this, or perhaps you know, people of any age, might think about dreams that you've been harbouring and ways of bringing it into being. And the simple truth is, get your bum out <laughs> to, to advance it along the path. Sex sells. Sex certainly does sell, yeah. but, but never sell sex. That's a, yes. what I've learned. Um, so, um, but I, I guess the business has grown from me and Dave in a dream to where there's now 170 people with us. We've three cafes, two shops, a farm. We've written it. I guess three number one best-selling cookbooks. We've done loads of stuff, and we really love it. It's incredible, isn't yeah, it? So a tremendous great. success story. Now, what about like one of the things that I think is very eye-catching and appealing is uh, the the free oatmeal. You still give oh, yeah, out great. free porridge. How did that idea come about? What was uh, what was your thinking behind that? Like? Uh, there was we used to so we started with a little vegetable shop, and the wind had come whistling through in the morning. It was cold in winter, so we'd have to make porridge. Being good Irish lads. And uh, we'd make porridge for ourselves. And one day, Sally was the manager at the time, and Sally was very smart. And she said, lads, we make porridge for ourselves. Why don't we sell it? <laughs> it was like, Sally, great idea. I love it. I love it. So, uh, and Steve says, nah, like we live in Greystones. Everyone, like we open at nine. Everyone's had their brekkie. Like no one's going to feckin' pay for porridge. And anyway, they're back and forth. And Steve says, right, I got an idea. How about we give the porridge away for free? Let's give it away for free for one week and see what happens. So it uh, came along in the first week, you know, everyone, we'd give away the free porridge and people would come along and they said, American, I want a porridge. And you go to your, and they go, I think you forgot to charge me for the porridge. And you go, no, porridge is free. And they go, free, wow. And, and it really created a nice feeling and a nice kind of sense of connection and community. And it came to the end of the week and Sally was like, right, lads, what are we charging for porridge? Four euro, five euro, two euro? And uh, Steve said, maybe let's just give it away for free for one more week because it feels really good. And uh, that one week has been about 12 years now. 
So, that's fantastic. That's yeah, a fantastic yeah. idea. And, and now as your business continues to develop and grow, how are you planning to continue to incorporate these principles without being compromised by the demands of well, I think capitalism? Th like the, the nature of businesses or ideals is that they're challenged. You know yourself. Uh, and I remember we opened our second cafe down here in Shoreline in the gym about maybe about three years ago. That was about seven years ago. Okay, a while ago. Anyway, in the past... Terrible estimate, that, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that was How long have we been talking? Two years? Half <laughs> an hour, I think. <laughs> I'm hungry. Uh, and I, I was down working the first day, and I remember, I, I remember turning to Dave and going, enough of this hippie stuff, I charge him for porridge. And I remember writing, organic, por organic porridge, one euro, yes! You know, I was really delighted with myself, making a stand for capitalism, hail profit. Uh, and first customer came in, and she was Barbara, and Barbara was, you know, strongly spoken and said what she thought, and I was like, oh, shit, don't order porridge, please. Uh, and of course, what does she order but porridge? So it was like, I walked over, and I filled a tub of porridge, and I'm walking back, and in my mind, I'm going, one euro, one euro, one euro, you can do one euro, one euro. And I put it down, I go, one year, and she goes, what? Okay, it's free, it's free, it's free, it's free, it's free. <laughs> and it's been free there ever since. So I guess we kind of listened to our gut and our intuition and went with that. So it doesn't, feel, yeah, it doesn't feel right to you, because I think one of the sort of practical challenges we're facing as entrepreneurial people, artistic people, creative people, is how do we pursue our dreams? How do we keep a shirt on our back? How do we have families well, to stay true integrity. to our ideals? While maintaining integrity, yeah. yeah. And I think, that's, I think that's, like, as we said, we started the business to try to create a happier, healthier world. And I guess that started with us from our own most selfish desire to create a happier world, build a business that supported the lifestyle we wanted to live. And I guess you kind of, the constant gauge is how we're living our lives. Are we, you know, when you look in the mirror in the morning, are we enjoying or do we feel content and fulfilled with what we're doing? And I think that's one, a great measurement to start with. And uh, that's Simply the way that you feel. Well, I think that's quite important if you're, because... There's many hats now we've got to wear and you're, you know, you're being dragged in all sorts of different ways. So you've got to try to maintain, I think, some level of, you know, integrity. And we hung out over the weekend, as a matter of fact, our, our families, you know, were actually like it was you guys and your children. I bought my daughters. Davy held my little baby Peggy for the sort of entire time that we were there, which I thought was sort of kind of very beautiful what i would kind of taken with with both of you is a kind of new and emergent example of maleness that can include compassion and kindness and gentleness i thought you're very good at hosting and creating a gentle social environment your other brother mark there the whole time uh, like an alchemist making toasties quietly in the corner <laughs> never like uh, he never sort of stepped away from it very very patient like just taking a little morsel here and there as he went you know it sort of felt like a very sort of a beautiful way of socialising and perhaps a good way I think sometimes of evaluating whether people have got a model that will be useful and workable is like what does it feel like when you're around them, would this work and I sense that you are authentic people, it certainly feels authentic to be around your enthusiasm to feel and your lovingness is actually what I felt, like a, it's like a laugh, it's easy, it's relaxing it's nutritious I mean like it feels like a very <laughs> sort of beautiful way of living you know because I suppose particularly in the world where you're sort of releasing cookbooks and you're part of a sort of Irish but English speaking culture it's very easy to sort of fall foul of cynicism and the kind of forces that counteract an enterprise like this now how is it that you're planning to continue to grow what you're doing and and continue with the spirit of the free porridge and the I'm going to say it, free love. 
Okay, NF2. So when I was in college, I did my thesis in this guy, Charles Handy. He was a kind of business writer and philosopher that sold millions of books. And he was big into kind of like what is success. And he, you know, he kind of, he's a philosopher. So he comes at business of, of what's it all about and what are you trying to do? And quite coincidentally, it was his wife was doing a photography project on twins and they're based in London. And she, she got in touch with us and said, hey, can I come take photos of you? And we said, yeah, we'd love to. And uh, so her, she came over and it turned out that her helper, her assistant was Charles Handy, her husband, who I did my thesis on. And he, they're about 80 years old. So they were, they were there and we, it was a lovely time, lovely conversation. And uh, I was telling him all about the business and he, he was son of a vicar in the England. So he was a very kind of insightful kind of man. I was telling the business, and he said, lads, it sounds like you're at like a crossroads that you could... He said, I helped Anita Roddick quite a lot with the body shop, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm familiar with the entrepreneur journey and all this, and he says, uh, would you like to come over and have lunch in my farm someday, and we could talk about what is success and what you want to do and what, do you, what is your purpose with your business? And we thought, what a lovely thing. Anyway, so, so we, we, brought, we went over with our family, like dad and mom came with us, and Dara, our brother, came with us, and we went over as a family, and it was great. And uh, Charles, who was 84, cooked us a vegan dinner, which was really, it was really lovely in his farm. And we talked about what is success and what are you trying to do? And he was saying very easily you could get distracted and open a load of shops and then you probably have the worst job in the world because you've got to be at all these shops and you're being dragged here and there. And he was saying, what do you want out of it? And it was a very interesting conversation that kind of jarred us with what we had ideas. Because previously before that, we borrowed a million and a half and our idea was to open five different uh, new premises and kind of expand the business. And it was only through that conversation with Charles, we kind of discussed what's enough and what do we really want. And we decided it's easier to scale the business through products. And what's most important is that I can get up, I can go swim in the cove, I can come back, do a bit of training, I can have brekkie with my family, I can bring my kids to school. And then I can go off to work and do something that I really love, as opposed to being dragged around and, you know, like a puppet. Yeah, otherwise you've been tyrannised by your own life. I get that. Because, like, of course this, in a sense, is only something you can say from a position of privilege. But when I was a little kid and I wanted to be famous and stuff, I was thinking, I'll be famous. If I'm famous, then I'll be good enough because I'm currently not famous. And if I get famous, that means I'm good enough. You know, I made this deal with myself and those sort of cultural ideals are pretty well augmented and represented that fame and celebrity are important things. Then, as it turned out, good fortune and a variety of things, not, not, not excluding a little bit of the old comic timing, I was able to get a few breaks here and then and got successful and famous. And I thought, hold on a minute, this is no longer the life that I was thinking of and that sort of experience that I described earlier a kind of you know in a way mental breakdowns I think can be mental breakthroughs like we look, we talk a lot about mental health and we'll be talking about it in a minute I sense it right and like uh, <laughs> like the the in a, I feel sometimes that something is trying to come through when you're having a mental breakdown, like something's trying to be heard in you that you're not listening to. And like, when, so when, from my perspective, when I was like successful in that, there were bits where I looked at it from the. I remember one time looking at an image of myself emerging from a nightclub with like, and I had a lot of you know, there's people wrapped around me. It looked like a glamorous image. And I remember, but then I looked at the image and I remembered that night and I remembered how that night felt and I remember going home after that night and I remember what happened and how sort of lonely and desperate and awful it was. But still looking at the image, even though I'm the person in the image, it felt somehow alluring and appealing. So somehow we can become seduced by these realities. And I think that guy gave you some pretty valuable wisdom, didn't he? Of like, you know, that your life, this is it. This mm. is it. Like, if you can't go swimming in the cove and hang out with your kids and stuff. It's kind of like what is true wealth and what is actual happiness and success. And to many people, you know, Western society, it's all fame and cars and sex or power or whatever it is. But I guess in, in our experience, we find it's the simple things. It's been able to swim. It's been able to have breakfast with your family, walk your kids to school and then go off to do a job that you enjoy with really nice people. 
but but I, but I think it's hard because there's the draw like there's so much conditioning in there to try to that you're dragged towards fame or money there's so much social conditioning that's in there so it's a con- constant battle between the ego that wants these things and then the whatever the deeper party that knows that none of it really matters and what really matters is peace and contentment and having a nice time with humans that you care about. Well, this is true, but like also let's not forget that many people never even get the opportunities, like, you know, through circumstances, are living in economic conditions that are, they're already tyrannised, the background that I come from and uh, the lives of, let's face it, the majority of people are restricted by economic necessity. It isn't about like, oh, well, shall I be a movie star or shall I start an entrepreneurial business? It's like, I'm in some pain in the ass, ball-breaking job that I don't even want to do anyway. So I think isn't it important for people that are in a position such as yourselves, I'm not sort of hitting you with this obligation, although it sounds a little bit like I am, (laughs) to sort of uh, convey somehow not only optimism but practical opportunity, is it? Yeah. Okay, you're passing it to me. Okay, yeah. that was very was, eloquent. Was that a question? No, yeah, no that was yeah, good. That was good. No, I thought is, that was good. I, I, I see get you it. now getting more powerful, you guys. He's getting it now. He's get. He's. I think I'm tuning in. I think I'm tuning. He's in. Got, I got, he got it, that I got one it. there. Go wait, on, wait, 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 wait. Look Go at me. Okay, I got it. Uh, no, I, I, I think like I guess our main thing is to try to make healthy food accessible. Uh, one of the things that we've kind of recently got into is YouTube. It was about three years ago. It was we got an email from Jamie Oliver, and it was like, wow, Jamie Oliver's email. His team, not from him. Yeah, of course. Well, it was hardly him. Like, but I was just clarifying that. Okay, so we got an email from his team asking, do we want to be part of his YouTube channel? And what happened was uh, YouTube were giving him a certain amount of money to produce a certain amount of hours. He couldn't do that, so he he asked twelve different content creators from around the world to create content that would go on his platform, FoodTube, which lived on YouTube. Uh, so we were producing two recipe videos a week and would have to go over to London once a month. And we kind of got really into YouTube. And uh, I guess YouTube is a wonderful medium, which it, it offers people the opportunity to convey a message. And we've used YouTube as a means to kind of make healthy food accessible and to show that it doesn't have to be, you know, goji berries and acai, that it can be simple peasant food, you know, lentils and potatoes and rice. But it can still taste great and it can be really nourishing for you. And when you're more nourished, you know, your brain might function better, your phys- physiology might improve, and as a result, you might find yourself in better Be circumstances. Be happier, more connected to human. I see. So you've, what you've done is you've nominated what your mission is, what your purpose is, and recognise that there are sort of limitations, that we can't all be St. Francis in around, you know, like sort of changing everything, upturning tables like the Lord and causing all sorts of chaos. It's a, Your service can be this very valuable service around food and nutrition. But I'm very interested in your plan. I don't know if it's something you want to talk about, about how to move your business forward in possibly autonomous units where people that work with you have a degree of authority. Is that something? So, yeah, so, so this was interesting. I was chatting, we were, I was chatting with Russell at the weekend about uh, governments and societies, and we were going quite philosophical, and we were talking about autonomous little pods. And I was saying to you that I think in our business, the model which we were trying to move towards, obviously it takes time, into where we're turning our business into small individual little pods, like independent little governments within a bigger business. So like we've done this with the coffee roastery where Paul and Shane are in charge of, you know, they're the leaders of their own little division and they've got, they're in control of the variables within it and there's great autonomy and much more satisfaction, much more commitment and it's a lot easier to measure. So we're trying to do that with all the various bits of our business where, there's, where people are trying to give people 
empower people where they can be more in control of the... And try to explore the different means of which running an organisation, a group of people, because traditional organisation within capitalism, it's hierarchical and it's top-down and the people at the top know the best and they take the resources. You know, this is the traditional model and it's try to... If our mission is to create a happier, healthier world, we have to do our best to try to embody that within the business. And obviously, we're far from perfect, but we're in pursuit of that and we're kind of looking at different ways with which we can organise ourselves with to empower people so they can feel more a part of it and feel more, enjoy it more and they feel more autonomous and they can see the direct results. I think this is a very important thing that you're discussing here and I think if you're able to document that and convey it and make it sort of almost as much a part of what you're doing as the awareness around food and nutrition, like that the business model itself and creating divisions within it where people are autonomous, I think that will be a great service because I feel, isn't it weird really, this is a thing I've been thinking about a lot, like even sort of like left-wing movement that are about sort of creating equality and liberating people so that we're not all toiling under, you know, capitalism, etc., etc. Still based on working, like the in England, the Labour Party. I don't want to bloody well be doing labour all the time. Don't want to be working. Let's sit around, meditate, hang out for a while, go for a little bit of a swim, look out the window, have a wank, see a dolphin, put your finger in its blowhole. I do not want to spend... There's nothing wrong with that. You're not hurting the dolphin. It's just to find out. Now, listen, <laughs> my point is, is that we don't need to live a life that's completely determined and defined by work. There's many facets to human beings. In fact, one of the things it says, I think it's in Das Kapital, written by Marx, is that we should be living a life that's not entirely, although, you know, Marx is as responsible as anyone for placing economics at the heart of our sort of ideologies, but like that we can live lives that are varied, you know, that we have to believe that life can be different. We have to believe that it can, that you don't want to live a life where you're just a cog in the machine and your job is to just create some part, whether it's a sort of a clerical job or, a, you know, sort of a call centre job or a factory job or wherever it is, that you want to feel in connection with your anima, with your spirit, with who you actually are. The first thing I think, you know, one of the things we have to do is start to believe that that's possible, that we can create different environments, different working environments that are respectful of the world and respectful of one another, different economic models that are, as you were just saying there, Stephen, not hierarchical in the in the conventional fashion. And as you were saying there, David, and yes, I've memorised them. <laughs> <laughs> and not just based on their clothes, I've studied them. Uh, like, uh, that, you know, that, give, that empower people, that give people responsibility, that appeal to the better aspects of our nature. Because I suppose when we were talking earlier about the previous model of success we had, is very much based on gratification, rewards, pleasure. But a lot of people in the public eye talk now about how we will feel more fulfilled when we have responsibility, meaning, purpose, that we have something to contribute to the world, not just something to take from the world. Yeah. So what's next then? Jeez, I don't know. You go for it. No, you go for it. You sounded no, like you, you took some drugs during the time I was talking. <laughs> <laughs> like your whole voice changed. I was yeah. just enjoying you going off. That was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, what's next? Uh, let me go. Okay, well, we've just released a cookbook. Um, you want to go and spill on that one? And I was going to say, we, uh, like we've had products in Ireland for the last five years, and it's only been in the last six months we have them in the UK. It was only, we were over in Bristol yesterday, and uh, it was one of the, maybe the second time we'd gone into a Waitrose store and seen our own products there, which was amazing. Yeah, that so, must be pretty good because we got some of your stuff out of Super Value, which is a supermarket that we don't have in England. And here's my complaints. It's already called a supermarket, so you don't need to have super in its name. That's what's called a tautology. It might as well be called supermarket value. <laughs> like, it's unnecessary. They've not put enough effort into the font. 
I think it's Helvetica. Or so it's like one of the Times New Roman. It's like one of the standard fonts that comes up on your laptop. Have a bit more effort. I might as well have been Flynn as socially responsible. At least that's like someone's put some effort into the name. But other than that, it's a bloody good supermarket. I'm not criticising the actual supermarket. It's just the superficial carapace that's out there in, written in that red thing with that font. Anyway, the fact <laughs> is, I got that nice curry of yours. This is before I met him. Like, I'd seen him on something called Somebody Feed Phil off Netflix. And I thought, oh, fucking hell, I like these enthusiastic lads. They're mental. Like, doing handstands on chairs and jumping in the sea. And I was, knew I was coming to Ireland. I thought, I'm going to meet them, aren't I? It's bound to happen. And now look what's happened. It's all been manifested. I'm sat here with them. Anyway, I ate them dinners. There was something like a curry with chickpeas in it. And then I think something else might have been like a chili con carne. I thought, is it good gear, this? It's actual proper good food. Yeah, it felt good, hearty, decent and delicious. But more important, I suppose, is that there seems to be a symbiosis between the way you behave and the kind of food that you're making. Now, what, how important is this thing like uh, the jumping in the sea of a bloody morning? What's going on with that? Now, like those of you listening may not know that they live in a coastal town called Greystones. By the power of Greystones! And, uh, <laughs> and uh, every morning at sunrise... You go swimming. I went one morning. I came with a dog and a dressing gown, and that was all I needed. And what, <laughs> what I wouldn't do is jump off the hard, cruel, brutal rocks. That if Stephen Dave was off doing something, Stephen like jumped off of a rock. You can see other rocks directly <laughs> below. And he's like, "Oh, come on, jump off!" I was like, "Mate, I'm not even that confident jumping into a swimming pool where there's a degree of certainty that you're not going to smash your face off on a rock." And I was like, a little bit of me was like, I wanted to engage in the machismo of, yeah, I will jump off that rock. But another voice in my head said, remember, Russell, this is you. You know what happens to you. You smash your face on the rock. You're not a person who elegantly executes a swan dive and goes swimming <laughs> off into the dawn. You're a person who's, woo, 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 woo. And off you go. Blue lights, blue lights and crying people. <laughs> That was very good. Uh, we <laughs> uh, it kind of just came about. Uh, we've um, five kids, not together, but we haven't, you know. Bet- I should hope not. <laughs> We're not that free thinking. <laughs> uh, between us, and uh, when Dave's uh, first daughter Elsie was born, um, you know, as you do, you're up early in the morning trying to walk her to sleep. And Dave took a picture of uh, the sunrise, put it up on Facebook, and uh, people seemed to really engage with it. It gave kind of a sense of hope, new day, new dawn, wow, nature, possibility. So and could, this, was, this was about seven years ago. Thank How you do you cl- know? Oh, Thank right, yeah, you're the one that knows time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we kind of got in the habit. We used to get up at half four to go in the fruit market, so we're kind of used to the early mornings. We used to love it. Uh, so we used to get up and go down to the sea, and we'd take a picture of the sunrise, and we might go for a swim. And I remember back about two and a half years ago, I was down there, and it was kind of a rainy, manky day, and it was pretty cold. And I went down to kind of take a picture of the sunrise. There was a fella swimming, Neil. And he kind of went, you're all mind your stuff if you go in. I was like, oh, shite. Okay, right. So, so I decided I'd go in. Uh, and, you know, we chatted a bit and, you know, introduced ourselves. And then, then I kind of went off about my day, and he said, I'll see you tomorrow. And I was like, okay, yeah, see you tomorrow. So you very easily swayed, didn't you? <laughs> Pound for your one euro for your porridge. What? I mean, free. You coming swimming tomorrow? Yeah. You want to watch out, mate. People will take advantage of you. 
<laughs> You've met him sister Just the bunny. So uh, I showed up the next day and then Caroline, Caroline, friend Caroline Barrington, she was in the beach and Caroline said, well, do you want to come and join us? So Caroline came and joined us and then Hugo did and then Fran did and we kind of, you know, kind of started, we swam August that month and then September was there and it was like, I wonder we swim in September and we went swimming the first of September, it was like, oh, membership paid for the month. So we swam the month of September and then I said, I wonder, can we do October and you do October and then November, ah, we'll see. And we did the whole winter, you know, where it's really, really cold, but it was great fun. You get this amazing shock. Like uh, Dave often uses the metaphor, going down to face the sea in winter, walking down, you feel like a lunatic. You're like, what the hell am I doing? Like, this is ridiculous. And you get in the sea and that shock immediately brings you back to the moment and you forget what you're worried about and you kind of come out going, wow, it's a beautiful day. You can hear better, you see better. And it's like, and then you have tea with kind of friends and it's like, this is gorgeous. This is one of the great joys of life. And you walk back a different person. A friend, Mark Lawler, always kind of said that he didn't always like the man going into the sea, but always loved the man that came out. And I thought I that like was a great that. metaphor. It's nice, isn't it, as a metaphor? Yeah. 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 I, like, I don't like this guy going into the sea. <laughs> but look at this guy coming out. <laughs> exactly. I once jumped into a cold pond. Uh, cold like, pond. Not trying to compete. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I heard noises coming out of myself. These are those noises. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought... Wow, you know, when am I making those noises? Don't be cheeky. Other than at this time, obviously orgasm. But like, uh, like to not, I don't go, <gasps> at the point of orgasm, that would be creepy, wouldn't it? <laughs> Do come again. <laughs> Please don't. Um, but like, if you never, you know, like I was thinking, like this capacity to make this sound is never being inhabited. Think of our capacities as human beings. We're not exploring. There are many rooms in my father's mansion. You know, there's all these places we can go, all these things we can do. Jumping in the sea in the morning, experiencing community, facing those fears, not staying on the tracks laid out to you by a civilization that doesn't want you to be free, a society that sees you as a commodity, a society that sees you merely as a battery, a resource whose energy it will drain to sustain its systems. They say, don't they that you are what you eat well look at what we eat great vast fields of wheat not cross-pollinating correctly because that's the easiest thing to farm not because it's the best thing to eat endless factory farms chickens and hens row after row abattoirs filled with cattle and pigs our brothers and sisters on this earth row after row then look at ourselves in our cities and towns compartmentalized turned into batteries ourselves truly we are what we eat perhaps if we start to eat differently start to eat better we will become better start to break down these systems break down these ideas yeah (laughs) (laughs) offer the happy pair that was fabulous beautiful poem did you just riff that out or did you I've been thinking about it a while it's very good It seemed that way, but it, it kind of came across very well. I was saying it to Dave, actually, when we was on our walk the other day, when was, like, I was just looking at Dave, thinking, mm, he's been holding my baby a long while now, and he's, he's not wearing a top, is that good? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, back to the swimming. Can I, can I tell a little more about the swimming? Go on, mate, yeah. So we used to go swimming in the sea all winter, and I used to put up on social media, used to put up on Snapchat. In Snapchat, I, I really appreciated the fact that it was immediate. You go, we're going for lunch, does anyone want to come? And someone would actually show up. So it was like, she says, other people at the other side of this phone. And you'd meet them, you'd chat, and it was like, it kind of came offline into the reality, and it gave you the ability to connect with people. And regularly, you get messages going, geez, I'd love to come swimming, it looks beautiful. And they'd only seen a two-dimensional photo of a sunrise, and they didn't realize the wind was whipping, the water was minus two, and it was Baltic. 
so I kind of went, it was a Tuesday morning, I remember I was going, we're going swimming on Thursday morning, everyone's invited, we're meeting at the shop, it was the middle of summer, we're meeting at the shop, 4.30am, and this was the big catch, there's going to be free porridge, and we're going to bring tea! Um, and I met David at 4am, you know, to get the porridge ready, and I was like, what do you reckon, there'll be 10 people, maybe Raj, maybe a few of the lads will show up, and I was like, ah, it's oats, you know, let's make a big pot. So we made a big pot and we walked out, can I expect them to be 5, maybe 10 people, there's 150 people. Yeah, we all walked in the middle of the road, watched the sunrise, and then we made love. It was beautiful. Yes, what yes. a story. Okay, we did That's go a swimming. pebble beach. <laughs> no, we went swimming, it was great. But it was nice means of connecting. And I guess subsequently we've probably had different ones where there's been 500 people. We had a hot tub down on the beach one day. We had 700 people there recently. It's a great means of connecting people together to share something simple like going for a swim at the sea. It's also kind of very, uh, if I may say, sort of primal. It's acknowledging the dawn. It's people coming together. It's a sort of a shared experience. Let's not forget that the baptism is the plunge under the water. You are drowned, you are reborn unto yourself. You know, like that these things are sort of whether consciously or not, rituals that bring people together to recognise that we are having a communal experience together, that we are, you know, as they say, all one. Now, Lisa, I want to talk more about some practical stuff about, uh, like, do you think you're going to be able to keep going your small, sustainable business model? What kind of resistance do you anticipate facing? How are you going to confront that resistance? I guess one of the big questions is vegan. This is the big thing that also it divides. It's very binary. It's Does like it? yes or no. <laughs> uh, this type of thing. Uh, and it, it, obviously there's a huge rise in it now because people are seeing through eating more plant-based diet, you're being more environmentally or more sustainably minded. Um, but our, our main message isn't about being vegetarian or vegan. It's just to eat more veg. Because fundamentally, everyone in this room, we're going to die. No one's getting out of this game alive. So uh, whether you're vegetarian or vegan, you're not going to get into the VIP section of heaven. So I think it's about doing our best and fundamentally enjoying our life. And if I think most people don't eat enough fiber, so I think it's to try to eat more fiber. You know, eight out of ten Irish people don't get enough fiber. I'm sure it's similarly around the Western society. So I think we all need to eat more fiber, and fiber you'll only get in fruit, veg, beans, legumes, and I whole see. grains. So you're saying focus on simple... Well, this is what I'm picking up from this. Focus on oh, simple, manageable things. Sorry about the plastic bottles, everyone. It's so hard, isn't it? How do you be perfect now? How are we to be perfect? There's so much to think about, isn't there? You know, it does make me think you've got to change the entire idea underneath things and not think about all the pinnicky finicky little things otherwise it's just too much detail to comb through we're just gonna have to change everything like that's what another thing where i'm lucky being a junkie is that you have to change everything you know you have to just let go of who you think you were so that you, be, you become very susceptible and very open to new ideas not as susceptible as you steve around <laughs> someone moaning that porridge has gone up to a penny <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, let's think a little bit more about this because I'm like I'm seriously considering whether or not I'm going to come swimming again in the morning because uh, you know imagine I wonder how many people would come from this. It was particular about th- room. there was about thirty people this morning randomly. Was like it didn't get back. We got back late, like about half twelve, and I was like, oh sugar, I don't want to get up early. But I thought ah, mm. someone's going to show up, and I walked in, and there was two people from Galway, people from different parts, and people from England. So. I guess that we were part of uh, Somebody Feed Phil, which is kind of a show on Netflix, and mm. he kind of showed it and that we swim at dawn. So different people come from all over the world now. It's, it's amazing. Give re- a simple thing is a swim in the sea, and it's, yeah. It's so in a fun. way, sort of like, listen to this. This is the sort of subtext that I'll be looking to stitch together if I was you. As I said, right at the beginning, there was a sense of like being caught up in the family and being caught up in a conventional background and conventional lifestyle. Then there was a sort of a sense that oh, there is purpose, there is meaning, which was inspired by their parents. Their parents said, go and get out there and become yourselves, you know, become adults. 
Then there was these pilgrimages, like, uh, like you know, can I recreate myself anew? Can we become real? Then there was the synchronicity of both becoming vegetarians at the same time. And then there is the continued honouring of nature, both inner and outer. So I think what's it, and, and the creativity of the food and focusing on a simple message every time I try to lead them down. How are we going to bring down global capitalism? He goes, turnips! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so, so, like, you know, there's a, a lot that we can sort of uh, learn, I think, from this. I think it's a sort of an... I reckon it's an important practical conversation that we're having here. If you look at it, there'll be themes that are applicable in your own life. It won't be sort of exactly replicated because one of the things I get when I admire people is sort of say I like really love Richard Pryor or I really love Kenneth Williams or I really love... You know, you don't... You sort of... You can't become those people. You know, you just think, oh, what is it that I like from this? What is it I can put together in the formation of my identity? So that's another curious thing. Like with the Perry is being twins and everything, that you have to formulate this sense of yourself. And I think I'm quite taken with that day when we was all hanging out. So you're very intimate, eh? You're like sort of like with each other initially, and then I think with other people too, not of shy of touching the face, putting food in each other's mouths. You were all over that dear Radhanath Swami up in the green room. What's that on your head there? People touching him on his sacred bloody third eye. You know, like, uh, I know, it's amazing. They blow your mind, these lads, don't they? <laughs> and I'm not going to leave that. We've done that joke so many times. Um, so, like, uh, what is it that I'm trying to say here? What is it that I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say that uh, I'm very interested in that. I'm very interested in your sort of senses of yourselves. How would you feel like you are different from one another? How are you the same as one another? Oh, good question. Go for it. Uh, I was going to say, Steve's the elder twin, so he's 15 minutes older, so he's more, he's more responsible, more dutiful, and he tends to lead more, and I tend to follow more, a little more. Ah, yeah, really? So that's that's say, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But like, like being the firstborn and the eldest brother, he's definitely more responsible and dutiful, whereas I kind of shirk things a little more. Is that what your mum would say? Uh, we could get her if you want. Where is your mum? Yeah, Greatest get your mum out. The mammy. Do you want to come up? Do you want to come out, mum? Go on, yeah. the mum. <laughs> Mum's going to hate us. Does she want to? What's your mum's name? Ismay. Mrs. Flynn. Ismay, Ismay. She'd Ismay. hate you calling her Mrs. Flynn. Ismay, Ismay. Come out here. Will you? No, no you're no, getting no. no. Why are you too shy? Don't mess with the Bloody Irish mammy. So it's not so genetic don't... then. <laughs> Surprised you didn't walk out on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mum. Um, the the apple th- doesn't fall too far from the tree. Or should I say, the pear doesn't fall too far from the tree. This is Russell Brand reporting from my own consciousness <laughs> on a green sofa in a room somewhere called Greystones in a tone of voice that you recognise from the beaming <laughs> <laughs> Silliness. That's what I'm offering. Pure silliness. Do you want to, uh, maybe one thing we could offer is, like we wrote our book, a recent book called Recipes for Happiness. And one thing, one of the, I guess, the thing that's important for us is the topic of happiness. And, you know, I think, like, as we mentioned, we have kids. And the only thing as a father that I really want for my kids is that they're happy, that they have a good sense of themselves. And they kind of do what they think to be right and that they feel fundamentally happy and content in themselves. So one of the things that we wanted to include was kind of what are the pillars that help support us to be happier? Uh, and, you know, do you want to go on it? Yeah. You've got a big quiet there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I guess the first one is obviously eat more veg because that's our whole mission. It's about trying to get people to eat more fruit and veg because I think it connects us to a different sense of ourselves. You're going to be good politicians, I think, because they're very good at staying on message, these lads. <laughs> Just like yourself, Russell. Am I good at staying on message? You're fabulous. Yeah, but I say weird shit. But like, that's imagine, cool. like, you know, like, but if that's I, on brand. No? That's on brand. Russell brand. Weird shit. <laughs> 
Well, it's a good pun, but can you build a government on it? The answer is yes. <laughs> so, point number one, try to eat more veg. Most people don't eat enough fibre. Fibre has three functions in all our body. First one, elimination. Point number two, weight loss. Point number three, immune system. Where do we get this fibre? Where do we get Fruit the fibre? Fruit and veg. Just eat fruit and veg. And yeah, beans and legumes and whole grains. So you don't d- get it doesn't necessarily mean giving up meat if you're kind of a serious carnivore. It could just mean eating porridge. Okay. I don't say like breakfast. saying legumes, peanuts and tree nuts. I don't like hearing that phrase, legumes, <laughs> peanuts and tree nuts. How about we no. say lentils? Lentils. Could we use that as the all-encompassing word instead? Well, yeah, but just not legumes, peanuts, and tree nuts. Particularly not tree nuts. What are these <laughs> tree nuts? <laughs> I heard someone saying they're allergic. I'm allergic to legumes, peanuts, and tree nuts. What are these tree nuts? <laughs> you haven't heard of them before, and you're already allergic to it. Get a grip. It's not a real allergy. <laughs> of course, you can have allergies, whatever you want. Okay, so this is your like your mission is you want us to eat healthy, you want us to eat fibre and but do it, really nice fluffy stools. <laughs> the solid stools, generally. Solid, sorry. Yeah, they are. So point Don't number one. Say woo at a stool. <laughs> Everyone went, ooh. <laughs> so point one, try to eat more veg. Point number two, try to move. We're mammals. Modern day society is set up that it's very sedentary. You know, you get mm. up, you flick on a light switch. We turn on the cooker, we cook our porridge, we get in the car, we drive to work, we sit at our desk, we do our work, and then we go to the gym for an hour. Whereas what they found is that it's continual, continuous movement throughout the day that's much more beneficial to our health rather than going to the gym for an hour a day. So, Mom, do you want to go? Ma- Mom got a Fitbit oh, yeah. recently. And I remember Dave was kind of, Mom, geez, Fitbits are only for old ones. Like, what are you doing minding your steps? And uh, th- th- then he started looking at his own smartphone, and Mom was saying she was doing 20,000, 30,000 steps a day. And I was like, wow, okay. And he'd look at his and it's like, 6,000, wow. And then sort of reading more and realizing that it's a kind of simple metric is that ideally we're getting 10,000 steps a day. So it's a simple means of measuring that it's to try to get 10,000 steps a day. And even if you are sitting at a desk kind of tapping away on your keyboard and you go, that's easy for you to say. But simple things like drink lots of water, it means you've got to go to the toilet more. So you're up and you're moving. Yeah, and I'm you're rehydrated. right now, hey? You look busting as well. These are good. I like these. Okay, some simple things like that. But the other thing I couldn't help but thinking, Stephen, while you were talking just then, is that we like, you know, to a point, our culture places the responsibility on the individual. It continually does that. You as an individual eat more vegetables. You as an individual make more exercises without acknowledging that we live in a culture that's continually preventing us from obeying our essential needs. There is a degree of secret tyranny. When I hear people talk about extremism, typically in the terms of religious extremism, I think we already live in an ideological extremism. Capitalism has reached an extremist stage. I'm not complaining about my trousers, which are a product of capitalism. I like like them. You know, there are things, you know, we're all sinners in this matrix because how do we not? How do we not own the phones? How do we not own the cars? How do we not swim within the water in which we've found ourselves? But we can, and I think have to, acknowledge that it's very difficult for us to abide by these mm, principles that you are uh, espousing when we have to confront a great cultural edifice that's pushing us in another direction. But, but I think one of the important things is to, and this is point number three, community, try to get support. We're all idiosyncratic. Society is set up at the moment in capitalism is to support different values and different cultures. However, if you can get support around these values that you newly want to espouse, the easier it is to sustain it. That's a good point, you know. Woo! 
communities are Community. very uh, quite valuable. And like you've you've demonstrated that sort of in <clears> some to some degree for your business life, but also in this simple swimming thing that you do, ritualized ways of bringing people together. I, again, with my like, I can't help but return to this because my sort of uh, personal ideology is drawn from uh, addiction and more importantly recovery from addiction. When you're a drug addict, it takes up so much of your time to be a drug addict. You've got to get the drugs, then you've got to take them. Then you've got to be sick on the floor. <laughs> Exhausting. So, like, once you stop taking them, you realise there's a great empty abyss in your life. And sometimes you recognise that the whole reason you were taking the drugs is because you were looking for some sort of purpose, meaning. And the drugs do with two things. One, they give you purpose and meaning, and, and they anaesthetise the lack thereof. So once they're gone, you know, the, oddly, the cure for addiction seems to be community, purpose, pursuit of spiritual life you know so there's a very good template i mean i'm not sort of you know like uh, i'm not simply trying to plug my book because you can get better books for free but like my book for <laughs> recovery is about describing how those principles can be applied not just with extreme things like addiction but any form of attachment if it's an attachment to sort of relationships or unhealthy eating habits how you can apply a 12-step program in these environments like you know com- spiritual life community, acknowledgement of what your habits are, changing them, and the necessity for support in changing them. So in a way, I'm a really great guy. (laughs) (laughs) Here, here. I'm with you, Russell. You're so sweet to say that, Can I do one for the last one, okay? So point number four of our four little thing. Oh, there's four points, is there? Did you just add that? (laughs) I I I thought it was three points. Okay, we're going to add a fourth one anyway. And this one's kind of fun. This will be quite interactive. So uh, I I think ultimately, I think we want to feel connected. We want to feel connected to one another, connected to ourselves. I think that's like what the whole game is really about. So um, like, and I think the Beatles in one sense had it right where they said, oh, all you need is love. Like, and I really do at some sense, as Swami was saying there. So if everyone can entertain us and stand up for one second. What, we're standing up now? Yeah, everyone's standing oh, up. Christ. Oh, here the, we go. The, the bit that, mom used to make us go to mass when we were younger as good little Catholic Irish boys. And the bit, you know, David normally fart. And then no, Steve would fart. Okay, one of us would fart and the other one would giggle. Kind of, <laughs> you know, for a lot of it. But the bit we enjoyed most was the, how are you, how are you, peace be with you. Peace was the connection. So, the connection. Oh, yeah, that peace be with you bit. But, 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 I like okay. that bit. Some oh. people don't like that. I love that, but that was, that was always our favourite bit. So, connection, I think, is ultimately what it's all at. So, if you can turn to the person beside him and just give him a hug. We're going to leave it at a hug? Turn <laughs> <laughs> right. to the person on the other side and give him a kiss. No, <laughs> When's it going to descend into blowjobs? <laughs> okay, <you> can... <laughs> Some people are here That's with their families. <laughs> well done, everyone. Ladies and gentlemen, Stephen and Davy Flynn, a.k.a. the happy pair. Yeah. Woo. What's the name of your book? Recipes New... for Happiness, this the new one. Brilliant. Six products of Maitros. What? Six, six products and Waitrose. Well done, lads. <laughs> and Justin stuff. wanted me to say something. Justin wanted to say that on our website, if people want to sign up for the newsletter, we've got loads of really good stuff we're going to give people. Sign up for the newsletter, everybody. On our website, thehappypair.ie. Boom, Brilliant. geez, you're yeah. good. Round of applause, everyone. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed that and it gave you a real hoot and a right laugh. Please uh, subscribe to it. Send it around, share it, get other people listening. Let us know how you think entrepreneurism and uh, sort of new modern democratic methods of organising community and creating fairer societies can co-align. Tweet me if you want, at Rusty Rockets with the hashtag under the skin. Or let me know on Instagram, tag me, True Russell Brand. Or if you want to add me post-wise in your Insta storygrams, I will always be the happy recipient of those. And also, if you've not seen uh, Rebirth on Netflix yet, have a look at that. 
and Mentors, my new book, How to Help and Be Helped, is coming out this month. Go to russellbrand.com to get a copy. Next week on this podcast, we'll be talking to Lawrence Scott, the author of the brilliant book, Picnic, Lightning. He talks about the nature of reality. Is it in our consciousness? Is it outside our consciousness? What's it bloody well comprised of? He helps us to understand it. I'm reading the book at the moment. And I really love it. We've got Steve Coogan, Fern Cotton, Brad Evans, Jay Shetty, all coming up soon. Please subscribe and share this. And if you haven't listened to Rebirth uh, or looked at and listened to Rebirth on Netflix yet, do if you want. Thanks. I love you.